Today's teaching text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first words that God is recorded as speaking in the entirety of the scripture is found in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good. Now, just before this, conditions were kind of rough. Uh, Verse 2 of Genesis 1 says, The earth was formless and empty. You may have heard formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Formless and void, formless and empty, is a Hebrew phrase that's really fun to say. Uh, Tohu vavohu. Uh, you can practice that on your own uh, the rest of, uh, rest of this day. I heard a commentator say that the translation of the Hebrew phrase tohu vavohu is like if you put dark uh, chaos in a blender, what you get is tohu vavohu. Um, interestingly, uh, dark chaos in a blender was the runner-up uh, as the nominated slogan for 2020, um, but it lost out to fatten the curve, so uh, you can't win them all. Uh, But but think about this for just a a, a moment. The first words God has recorded saying in all the scripture, right, is let there be light. Let there be light. And even though uh, what the lights actually come up on uh, isn't the glorious, teeming, abundant world that that we know will eventually be, the world comes up on tohu vavohu, and uh, the light comes first. And we come to know the light eventually helps us understand the day, helps us navigate the day, helps us make our way through our home, helps us find uh, comfort as a kid in in the darkness of the night. Uh, That light is a signal to us to orient us to our place in the world. That light, uh, one of its purposes is to show things for what they really are. And so what a powerful thing that God, Yahweh, begins the word to us with, let there be light. We can stumble over Genesis 1 a a, a lot because we import all these modern scientific questions and try to make the text answer things that the text basically has no interest in answering uh, whatsoever. And when we do that, we miss out on what it is saying. And one of the most simple things Genesis 1 is saying is that God puts quite a priority on light. Uh, it's, it's, It's right there. And uh, not, not to bore you with too many scientific details, but um, you know this, I know this, light travels at a certain speed, actually very specifically 186,282 miles per second. Um, if you prefer miles per hour, that's 670 billion miles per hour. Uh, that means a beam of light could circle the earth seven times in a second. Um, and 
I, I am no expert by any means on this, but I can I can take a deep dive and get really uh, into it for a while. Einstein demonstrated right that the speed of light is a constant in in the universe, and so that if something has to give in the equations that we use to calculate uh, light and how it travels, the variable that moves is time, uh, which is is mind blowing. Um, uh, see the movie Interstellar for fun experiments with 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 that idea, but that that means the light that we see. From from the stars at night when we go outside and in, in, in the city you can't see that many but you get out into the country or upstate and you look up and you see all the stars the light we're seeing is actually from the past it's unbelievable so uh just to measure where we are, to orient ourselves in our universe, we, we know certain things, right? Like uh, the, the Milky Way galaxy is our little corner of, of, of the universe. Um, and even that is so big that to measure it, we have to not just use the speed of light, we have to use an entire light year. And light can travel 5.88 trillion miles in a year. Uh, when I think about like sometimes Trader Joe's feels too far to go, even though I know it's a significant savings from the bodega around the corner, light is traveling 5.88 trillion miles in a year. The Milky Way galaxy consists of billions of these stars. Uh, if you were to count a star every second, to count the uh, Milky Way galaxy would take you 2,500 years counting a star every second. So. We shouldn't be fooled by the limited number we, we see when we go out in, into, uh, into our city and look up, right? We, we also know that there are hundreds and billions of other space neighborhoods or galaxies beyond, beyond the Milky Way. Uh, I love these sort of like uh, comparisons of, of, of size. They, they make my mind sort of like bend a little bit. But um, if you were to do sort of in comparative size, if the Milky Way galaxy, to our neighborhood in the universe, was the size of the entire continent of North America, our solar system in that is the size of a quarter. So a quarter compared to the size of the entire continent of North America. The, the, the scale of it all is, is quite fascinating. It takes 100,000 light years to travel across our Milky Way. Uh, as I said, the, the scale is fascinating. Um, Armstead, who you can't see right now, but is behind the camera as I'm giving this sermon, uh, is a veteran of the Natural History Museum. And in my early years of New York City, when uh, you've just moved to such an exciting, exciting city, and and one of your jobs is then to play a tour guide to your visiting family and friends who comes to New York. One of my favorite things to do in the world was to call up Armstead, who worked at the Natural History Museum. And say, can you get us in for the secret Armstead tour? And I brought so many groups through, and Armstead would come out of his office, probably taking time away from actual work he needed to do, and let, let us in, bring us through. Um, and he would take me through the, uh, I would say, tell him how big the universe is. And, and we would go into the Rose Space Center, and, and he would show us the Hayden uh, sphere and how it's used to show the, the, the sort of scale of everything else in the universe. And it was one of my, uh, yeah, just favorite things to go in there and sort of let my mind be blown by the reality reality of the universe we live in, the, the observable universe. And we know there is so much more than what we can even see, right? Every time we develop a new telescope, we see more is out there. But um, it, if you take the size of just a human being um, and, 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 and you recognize that um, the universe that we just know about is 100 million billion times larger than a human being. 
That's mind-blowing. Like the, the further out into the world you, you get, the more mind-blowing it is. But also you can go down onto the microscopic level and know that a human is 100 million billion times bigger than a proton in the nucleus of an atom. So like all the way down into like the galaxies of, of, of you know, the, the microcosms of our atomic structure and then all the way out into the wildness of the world, the scale is mind-blowing. And we know these things because the, the capability given to us by the observance of light. We know something of our place in the universe, the scale of our universe, because the observance of light. It reminds me of, of hearing Louis, Louis Giglio, a preacher, quote Neil Armstrong when I was a kid. He said, uh, Armstrong said, I remember on the way home on Apollo 11, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. I put my thumb up and shut one eye and by the thumb blotted out planet Earth. <laughs> but I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. So when I hear, you are the light of the world, I kind of think, really? <laughs> really? Uh, the world is going to be quite disappointed then. But you can't get around it. You can't get around this reality. It shows up over and over in the scriptures. God is insistent on it. He seems undeterred in his commitment to share this world with us and to give us a deep, meaningful role to play, even to lend us a role that seems like it should entirely belong to God. And he turns to us and says, you are the light of the world. It should blow our minds a little bit. It, 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 it should uh, sort of make us do a double take. Over and over again in, in the story of redemptive history that we've, we see played out in, in the scriptures, God is embodying light. He's embodying light to free his people, to guide his people, to comfort his people, to orient his people. The Exodus narrative is central to the story of the scriptures, central to the story of Israel, central to how we come to know this Yahweh uh, of, of the Torah, how God rescues his people. And when Moses, at the very beginning of that, the, the, that drama beginning, how does Moses encounter this Yahweh? He encounters him as a light out in the wilderness, right? This burning bush. It's actually to a lesser degree, another tohu vavohu. Moses has fled into the darkness, into the wilderness, into the waste places in a sense. And he's made a life there, but it's tohu vavohu. It's, it's, it's chaos in a blender. He's had to flee from being a, being a murderer, right? He had some instinctual sense of his calling to set his people free, but he went about it out of his own strength. And from that, he has to flee into the darkness, into the wilderness. And when Yahweh comes to him, and Yahweh speaks to him, and Yahweh begins to align his identity and give him his vocation. How does he come? He comes as a bush on fire, a light in the darkness, a light in the wilderness. And this Yahweh eventually confronts every false god, every power structure in, in Egypt, and he sets his people free. And when God comes to lead his people in the wilderness, how does he lead them? As a, as a, as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire. At night, God's presence is seen over and over in the redemptive history, in the story of Israel, in the scriptures, as a light in the darkness. 
God doesn't just provide um, you know, the, the, the vision for the steps his people are to take in the direction they're supposed to go. He also provides food for them. He provides water for them. He eventually gives them the constitution of his, of his word, reframing them from a, a culture of slavery in Egypt to be his people. We talk about this all, all, all the time. And then he gives them a series of celebrations and parties and festivals so that they remember this. They remember his light. They remember his provision. They remember his word. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, Matthew especially is among the gospel writers is showing a reliving of this, a re-giving of Torah to, to his people. But Israel kept celebrating, kept telling the story, right? In, in the world Jesus and his, um, his friends would have grown up in, this would have, you know, to, to um, varying degrees been the story they heard over and over. Israel's success or failure at living as this light, as a representative of this Yahweh who had rescued them. There were these festivals honoring this salvation, as we've said, right? The Feast of Tabernacles was one. And in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles, there would be this, um, this festival of water where they would pour out the water in remembrance of how God had provided for them in the wilderness. And I mention it because Jesus would have grown up with this story. But um, when the festival was over, it's sort of like that sad moment, you know, somewhere between cr- Christmas and, and Valentine's Day when you're like, all right, enough is enough. I'm taking the, the tree down. I'm pulling the lights down. We're putting the decorations away. There's a sad it's sort of like that the festivities are over. And the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, this time where they remembered God's presence lighting them through the way, God providing for them and everything that they need. Um, here's the description of what that party looked like. Huge lamps were set up in the women's court of the temple to illuminate the festival of, of, of water. Um, these each contained, um, consisted of four containers of oil mounted on a huge pole. Young priests in training, right? These are the interns here, were given the task of filling these lamps by climbing up on them on ladders while carrying great jugs of oil. You ever tried to climb a ladder with a massive jug of something that will that that is uh, you know will spill all over you, potentially burn you, and pouring them into the containers on the top. Each of the jugs these young men pulled up to the top contained 30 lug of oil. I have no idea what that measurement is, but it says here it's about 15 liters. So the wicks for these lights were made from the old and worn pants of the belts of the priests. I don't know why you need to know that, but I'm telling you here. This is bonus information for you. The lamps towered over the court and shone forth with a light so bright that there was not a single courtyard in all of Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the light of the festival of water. This was their massive celebration of the year, remembering the light of God as their rescuing force in the world, the provision of God, giving them very, the very essence of their, of their life restored, giving them the water of life. And then the last day of the feast, when everything's being taken down, when those priest interns are going up and getting uh, the, these burned wicks that once were their pants, Jesus stands up in the midst of that sadness and what does he say? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here's the thing. I really have no problem with God being the light, the light giver, the light speaker in Genesis. Uh, of Jesus being the, the, the light giver, the light speaker, the light bringer in, in the Gospels. I have no problem saying the light came first. The light helps us navigate the day. The light helps us navigate our way through our home. Uh, the, 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 the light is a signal to orient us in the world. Uh, light shows things for w- what they really are. And Jesus can be that light. Jesus is that light. But then Jesus turns around. 
and says, okay, now you are that light. And honestly, I'm a little bit like, hang on. And Jesus seems, if we take the Beatitudes and the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount seriously, to know that he's not just saying you are the light to uh, the obviously qualified, the talented, the beautiful, the charming among us. He's saying that to any of us, to, to the broken, to, to, to the poor in spirit, to the mourning. Dallas Willard says, speaking to these common people, to us, the multitudes who through him had found blessing in the kingdom, Jesus tells them that it is they, not the best and brightest on the human scale, who are to make life on earth manageable as they live from the kingdom. God gives them light, truth, love, and power that they might be the light for their surroundings. He makes them salt to cleanse, preserve, and flavor the times through which they live. These little people, without any of the character or qualifications humans insist are necessary, are the only ones who can actually make the world work. It is how things are among them that determines the character of every age and place. God gives them a certain radiance as one lights a lamp to shed its brilliance over everyone in the house. Just so Jesus said, to those he has touched, let your light glow around people in such a way that seeing your good works, they will exalt your Father in the heavens. Jesus is not just telling us the crux of this story. He's not just demonstrating again the way God's salvation works and offering us a place in that story. He's not just saying, look at how all of this has been coming together since the very beginning, since that first utterance, let there be light. He is living this picture, and then he is giving this picture away. He's saying, you join in on this. Just a chapter before, um, the, the, the uh, Beatitudes begin, the Sermon on the Mount begins. Uh, Jesus finds out that his cousin John has been put in prison. He withdrew to Galilee. This is Matthew 4. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, um, to fulfill what was said by the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Right Here's the Advent passage, and we're on our way there. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is the ministry of Jesus, and he is insistent on giving this ministry to you and I. From that time on, Jesus did what? He began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Reorient your entire life around the coming of this light into the darkness. Everything that proceeds out of Jesus' ministry is a demonstration of what this kingdom of light coming in the darkness is going to look like. And I can't stress enough how we have to hear that it is coming to us in all of our brokenness and all of our failure and all of our, hey, keep this a bit of at a distance, arm length nature of hearing that we're supposed to be the light. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases these beatitudes that we've been hearing week after week as we've been studying the beginning of this sermon. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. You are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when, you are, when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. 
You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get uh, your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdoms. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you or discredit or, 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 to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And you know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. They have always gotten into salt and light kind of trouble in the world, no matter what their starting place is. When the darkness of our lives is truly chaos in a blender, it's tohu vavohu, and God with his saving word comes and speaks to us, let there be light, and he heals and saves and brings us in, and he says, now you're going to be a candle in the world, you're going to be a reflection of this, you're going to be salt and light yourselves. Now, on the basic level, what does that mean? It means to show things for what they really are. This is what light does. It means to give a sense of orientation. It means to provide comfort. It means to be a guide. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We mentioned all the way back in Genesis, God saying, let there be light. Here's Jesus telling us that we're meant to be lights in his kingdom, a full, full, full participants in the reality of this breaking into the world. When we get all the way to the end of the story in the scriptures in Revelation, the church is pictured as a lamp on a stand. And Jesus is walking in the midst of those lampstands. And the spirit is speaking uh, these words of conviction, words of correction, words of encouragement to these churches, to their lampstands, so that they can continue to be the light in these cities uh, in, in the Roman Empire spread across the known world at that point. So over and over again, we see this reality. Leon Morris, a commentator on this passage, says, the very purpose of being a follower of Jesus is to give light. Giving light is not an option, so to speak, which the disciple may or may not choose. It is part of being disciple, just as much a part of discipleship as giving light is, uh, is of a lighted lamp. Jesus has chosen his own so that they may give light. It is the nature of light to shine. And when people have received the light of the gospel, they will shine in a dark world. This is, both the, point, this is the point of both comparisons. It is, a, it is of the very nature of light that it brings illumination. So we keep hearing over and over again. The light begins with God. So in some sense, ours is a bit more like the moonlight, right? That reflects the light of the sun as it's positioned perfectly. And you can see, you can see the glow, but it is a light, uh, not, uh, even of itself. So we're living in such a way that we're pointing people to the source. And, and I love that it says they see your good deeds and they don't prop you up, right? They, they see your good deeds and they glorify your Father in heaven, that it's 
obvious that the source of our life is coming from something that is beyond just our human ability, our talents, or the collection of what, what makes us people. God gets the glory and we get the joy. So the light begins with God. But the other thing that this is a reminder to me is that the darkness is present. The tohu vavohu is still around. There is chaos in blenders. Um, there is the wilderness. There is the darkness. There is the darkness of certain nights. There is the darkness of certain seasons of life. There is the darkness of being poor in spirit, of grieving, of not having enough. There is the darkness of my own loneliness, right? 2020 has shown us plenty of darkness. The struggle uh, to live as light, right? It's, it's, Maybe it's inspiring, but it's not always straightforward. It's certainly not always easy. And we're actually approaching one of the best seasons in the church's year to remember that. Um, that, that, uh, th- that Advent is a reminder that what we're longing for is still coming. I was a little bit debating as to whether to get into this, but I had a challenging day yesterday. And part of it is, um, is on writing days. Um, I just find this thing begins to happen to me where I want to find anything I can to distract myself. And so um, I'm moving through the day and I know I have this massive task in front of me that I have to finish. And so it's like, oh, I'll do this or oh, I'll, I'll do that. Or oh, I, I, like, I found myself um, in, in, in you know, testy arguments with Allison and sort of picking a fight with my family on, on text about, uh, about the state of the world and just like almost doing anything I could to avoid this like responsibility that was right in front of me. And it, it led me to this place of just sort of sitting, staring out the window in my office and feeling absolutely lonely, right? One of those moments where kind of unforced, you feel like I'm isolated in this world. So I couldn't get myself back in a creative flow. So I started to read some poems and then I, I tried to write a poem. And I'm not sharing this with you because I think it's fantastic poetry, but because this was right out of my heart yesterday. This is unedited, <laughs> but I wrote a poem called Almost Winter. And here it goes. I was hoping we could just take a break from talking for a while about anything whatsoever. Because Christmas Eve is going to be online this year. And each room I go into is cold because we need to take the air conditioners down to the basement gently so they will work again next year. And the ends of my fingers are red from making a fist that you can't see. It is getting dark so early now that I don't mind being completely alone forever. As long as, after a while, you ask me if I am okay, which I most certainly am not. There are days when it is so clear to me, yesterday was one, that I can't live on my own light, that the call to be light in the world feels like a burden that I can't bear. My own instincts, my own guidance, my own moods are not enough to carry me forward. I need something more. I can't even live, right? I, I can't even live on my own optimism, on my own ability to stir myself up. And, 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 and that's why I need The word of Jesus, the reminder that the light begins with God, that the light is shared, but that the the participation and the promise of it absolutely isn't hinging on my ability on my own. It It is hinging on my willingness to surrender. 
as our, our hearts are preparing for Advent. Today, this, this Sunday, is the, the feast of Christ the King. It's the last day in, in the church year. And so the whole world's going to celebrate New Year's uh, in, in January 1. The church celebrates its New Year's next Sunday. It's the beginning of Advent, the beginning of the season where, we, where we're looking for light in the darkness. And I love what Fleming Rut- Rutledge says. This was a reminder to me yesterday. The church can't survive on sentiment or, or nostalgia. If we try to do that, we will wake up at midnight and discover that our lamps are going out. Sentiment, nostalgia, optimism, these are weak, thin fuels. We need premium oil for our lamps if we are going to keep the light of the church burning in the time of trial. We need to understand the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism arises out of a denial of the real facts. Hope, however, persists in spite of the clearly recognized facts because it is anchored in something beyond. This time uh, of the church year is about hope. We need to face up to the horrors of the world in our young century and in the last century and the apparent chaos and randomness of life, the tohu vavohu, and see if we can still say, staring out the window, feeling lonely, I'm adding these now, Jesus is Lord. So church, how do you live as light of the world. Stay close to Christ. He's the light. I'm going to give you four of the simplest ways that I know to do that as we close, to live as the light of the world. The first is to let the light of God's Word shine on you daily. Don't go just by the circumstances of your day. Don't go just by the guidance of your moods. Don't go just by the task you have in front of you for that particular day. Allow the light of God's word to shine on your day, to shine on your moods, to shine on your heart, to shine on your relationships on a daily basis, right? The psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It speaks and I know where to step. It orients me to the world. It shows things for what they really are. So the first thing, how do you live as light in the world is stay near the light of God's word. Let it be a lamp to you on a daily basis. The the second thing is the light of conviction. Allow the light of God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to you about your moods, about your selfishness, about your sin, about where this loneliness is really coming from, about my need to to uh, sort of curate my own experience and to cope with with life and to and to make myself feel sig- significant I need to let the spirit shine on my inner world so the first thing is to bring myself into the light of God's word it's to allow the Holy Spirit to use God's word and 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 the spirit throughout the day to illuminate the reality of my inner life the light of conviction is a gift from God it means that we're not just living um out of our own guidance, we're living by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the way that comes crashing into our lives in a real particular way is God gives us conviction by the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's the second thing. So what do I do with that conviction? You, you bring it into the light of confession. Uh, on a regular basis in the rhythm of our service, we do a, a, a corporate confession together. We make time for personal confession, but that needs to be a part of the rhythm of our life, right? The light of God word, God's word shines on us. The Holy Spirit brings things up of how to live as light in the world, how, how to live in the way of Jesus. And what we do is we vent that in confession. We vent that. We bring it to the surface. We bring it to the light by sharing it honestly with God and, and, and most of the time sharing it honestly with someone else as well. 
So we stay close to the light of Christ. How? By living daily in the light of God's word, by living in response to the light of conviction by the Holy Spirit in us, and by bringing that to the surface by the act of confession, and then realizing that we have to do that in the light of community. Here's the thing, and this is so obvious. You can't be a city set on a hill by yourself. You need the light of the other believers around you to help guide you, to orient, to show things for how they really are. Because when you confess and your self-pity and your pride wants to beat yourself down and wants to say, oh, I'm never going to pick myself up. I'm never going to write this sermon. We're ne- our church is never going to be what, what, what it could be. We're never going to see real substantial change. When's the next time we're going to baptize? I need to hear the light in Allison or, or, or the light in, in Armstead or the light in another friend around me to remind me of who I truly am to remind me uh, of uh, the, the lights that all supposed to be generated from any one of us, but it is shared amongst us from the person of God, from our God who said, let there be light. In the most practical terms, I can tell you, how do you live as a light in the world? Stay close to the light of Christ. These are four really simple ways. Get yourself daily into the light of God's word. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring the light of conviction to shine in the dark places of your heart and mind. And then from there, go forward in the light of confession. Bring these things to the surface. Share them with someone else. And then be reminded of who you are in the reality of, in the orienting reality of community that we, we minister God's grace that we've received. We minister that to one another. We can't be a city on a hill by ourselves. There is a plurality in the language, even in this call to be the light of the world. It is spoken to that list of community that doesn't seem terribly qualified in the Beatitudes, and yet it is us, sons and daughters of God, brought into the kingdom by the light of the world. Whoever has this light will not walk in darkness. Stay close to the light of Christ. We need this as we end this year, as we move into Advent. God began the whole story saying, let there be light. He is still saying it. He is still saying it. Church, I want you to know he's saying it through your life. He's saying it through the mercy you've received, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit the shining light of his word in your life. God says, let there be light. And he's, he's still saying it. He's saying it to you. He's saying it through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you in your mercy to shine on us right now. Lift us up. Show things for how they really are in our hearts, in our world, in our homes. And then lead us in your way. You're both the, the, the place we're trying to get and the way that we go and the motivation along the way. We just praise you and worship you, Jesus. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. Genesis to Revelation, it is all a story about you. And yet you insist on giving us full participation. May we live as salt. May we live as light in this world. By your Spirit, keep us close. May we abide with you in intimacy, God. Anything today, Lord, that is hindering us, that is, that is like a, a, a shadow or a covering over the light that is our lives, God, would you peel it back? Would you heal it through, through conviction and confession and through mercy and grace? May the light burn bright. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen.